brought to you by Chemistry. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Brought to You by Chemistry. I am here in Joshi from the RSC, and joining me today is Dr. Norman Van Rang, a research fellow from Manchester University. Hello, Norman. Thank you for joining us. Hi, great to be here. Um, so I guess the first question that we need to ask uh, about this topic of antifungal resistance is, is it pronounced fungi, fungi, or fungi? <laughs> That's a straight away with a very controversial question. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm myself in, in, in the fungi camp, um, but you know, uh, as long as we're talking about the same thing, we're talking about the fascinating world of mycology, it's, it's all good to me. Excellent. So I guess what we need to start off with is if you could tell us a bit about yourself and your research. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm originally from the Netherlands, and that sort of... Uh, where I started my research career at Leiden University. Um, I was always interested in, in doing more something like zoology, um, but ended eventually in, on doing a general a bachelor's degree in, in biology, where I did some, um, some projects on, on fungal biotech and eventually got asked if I wanted to do a bit more um, medical relating to, to fungi. Um, so I did a, a little project and that, that's where I really got interested. Uh, moved to Manchester here, did uh, a medical mycology degree, so actually went to the clinic, then sort of went back into molecular mycology, and now I'm sort of into this hybrid field of soil ecology, environmental microbiology, uh, even a little bit of zoology in there now, so that, that makes me really happy, um, and still, uh, you know, clinical mycology as well. Okay, well, I guess this brings us on to the topic of antifungal resistance, fungal infections. Um, also, we'll touch upon um, the HBO series in, uh, called The Last mm -hmm. of Us. Could you tell us, you know, what fungi are? And also, like, we're, as a, a layman, we, we know fungi as, like, a mushroom. But can you tell us where a mushroom fits into that structure as well? Yeah, yeah, sure. So so fungi are, are their own kingdom of life, massive kingdom. It's been estimated that we've got about a million species in there, although they only know about of 100,000, so there's still a lot of work to do. Oh, wow. Um, and generally, um, they feed through absorption of food. They secrete digestive enzymes and therefore can take up food from the environment and, and proliferate. There is a incredible amount of diversity in fungi so it's really hard to sort of specify what it is besides you know this is a kingdom of life um, and as what you just said how does a mushroom fit in there so the mushroom is is one particular body structure of a group of fungi um basidiomycetes although some of the other another group the ascomycetes also have mushroom-like structures and this is, can sort of be seen as the fruiting body of a fungus. Mm. So it's a reproductive organ where they produce millions and millions and millions of spores. Um, and I'm not sure if you're sort of familiar with, there are some fascinating videos out there and I would urge you to look at them, is where people like press mushrooms and the clouds of things come out. Those are all spores and that's how they spread. And then where they land, they can start to grow again. So it's sort of the similar to, to a reproductive organ here. Yeah. So what you're saying is that 
we put reproductive organs in our risotto. Is that is that, is that what's happening? <laughs> I mean, if you look at it like that, yeah, yeah. Um, so before we start talking about The Last of Us, what would be really fascinating is to talk about the differences between sort of fungal infections and any other type of infection such as bacteria and viral. Like, what are the differences? Fungal infections, there there are some some exemptions like an infection and things like that but mm. fungal infections come in again a wide spectrum um, it goes from your athlete's foot to a nail infection to uh, eye infections uh, dandruff to really deep-seated serious infections that can be life-threatening mm. now generally these life-threatening diseases um aside from um, things that you already carry on your body like candida um, come from the environment and again these spores that for example are produced in, in mushrooms and, and other reproductive organs we breathe them in every day um, you me hundreds and hundreds and our body just you know knows how to deal with that um, we're evolved to you know get get rid of fungal spores that we breathe in um, but in people that can't deal with them due to immune dysfunction, the fungus just seizes as food. So it's almost like, you know, an accident, an accident. It's an endpoint for the fungus as well. If we don't stop them, they just eat through us. And that's really what's causing that problem. And that's slightly different from a bacterial fungal infection. We are just food that, and we're trying to stop being eaten. So are they similar to them parasites in that sense? I mean, I think you could draw some similarities between a parasite and a fungus. Um, although technically we are not required for the fungus in its life cycle. We're just a, almost like a happy accident that comes across. Right. Okay. How does, how does like fungus, fungi, fungi, how does that spread? So normally it is through these, these spores. Um, most of them are extremely light and we can, they can fly for miles and miles with a gust of wind. Um, and that's where they land, they grow again if there's enough food, make that reproductive organ again, mm. spread again. So a lot of it is through the air, although there are examples of fungi that can move by themselves. Um, great examples are the aquatic fungi extremely fascinating and they look beautiful so i would also say google some aquatic fungi is absolutely stunning how, how do they move themselves i'm picturing like a mushroom jellyfish right now is that basically yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 some of them do um and some of them are just spread through touch um, mm. and things again like candida are spread from mother to child um they can live on surfaces and you pick them up um, again, extreme diverse. So anything. Okay. Wow. The thing that everyone's talking about is let me, if I've got the pronunciation correct, cordyceps. Yeah. Um, so this is the fungus that's featuring in the last of us. So something that I guess like the ultimate question is, can this fungus really turn a host into a zombie monster thing that we see in the last of us? And also, can you explain to us how uh, cordyceps infect the host? So we've got um, sort of 
cordyceps, but also um, ophiocordyceps, generally a slightly different group, um, that infect like what well, called the zombie fungus. Mm. Um, just to make it very clear, unlike what we see in films where a zombie is an undead, whatever this fungus infects, they are not dead. They are just manipulated. These fungi are specialists, so they generally focus on, on one species they infect, maybe ants, wasps, flies, things like that. Um, they get picked up, um, sort of usually on forest floors, um, and crawls over it, picks it up. Fungus penetrates into the body uh, of the ant, and that's where it starts to sort of mess with its um, with its brain by completely messing with, you know, the, um, it secretes all kinds of wonderful compounds that completely mess up the brain dynamics of this, uh, of this ant. Generally for the, the sort of the zombie, um, zombie fungus, the ant then climbs up into a big leaf, bites down really hard, like ex with extreme force, uh, and stays there. Fungus starts to grow, sort of grow out. And I'm sure you've all seen that video as well. Yeah. Um, made, I think made famous by David Attenborough, mm -hmm. um, where the, the fungus grows out of the end. And then because it's already higher up, it can start spreading its spores again um, very widely. And then beyond the forest floor again, starts to grow and the cycle starts all over again. That's phenomenal. Right. So... So the fungus knows to target the brain as soon as it infects the body. Yeah, so it's an extreme specialist. So it's, it, it generally only goes for one species of ant, but it knows, I mean, knows. It's, it's evolved to, you know, be very specialist in its, in its life cycle. Blimey. And um, can this happen to humans? Now, obviously, we are we are completely different from ants, and what I just said, they are they are specialists, so they really focus on on one species. Um, so we are we are safe, and even if it would, you know, cause some local infection or a problem, our immune system is extremely good at clearing fungi from from our body, so it's not going to be a problem. And again, we are so different from uh, an ant that this this interaction has evolved over millions and millions and millions of years. So um, within our lives and the next million years is definitely not going to happen. Okay, well that's that's good to know. Particularly, I mean, there are similarities with what you've described in terms of the infection stages. And then what the last of us has adopted to, that we see within humans, because we see initial infection, then the stages of them, them producing um, mushrooms and spores, etc. Yeah. So what they've what they've shown in the series and what's also in the game has has a foundation in actual science. And then it's also quite scary. More scary than the actual monsters. Yeah, it is quite scary, um, but I don't think we've got to worry of um, becoming zombies, especially from a fungal infection. <laughs> but it it is fascinating to see such a show where um, 
a fungus is depicted as sort of the the infectious particle and and that has some basis in science so for us as mycologists this is an extremely great time to to work on, on again to go back to the the show just as sort of an anchor point for potentially listeners like knowledge um mm -hmm. we see in the last of us a communication network between the fungus and the infected um is this something that we see in real life with fungi it's a good question. Fungi, fungi can communicate from fungus to host. And a great example is, is mycorrhizae. Mm. Uh, is a fungus that grows around the roots of a plant and has communication with the plant, supplies them with essential nutrients for the plant that it can't take up and gets something back for it as well. So there is a, a cross organism view um, across kingdom of life interaction going on similarly i would say in our bodies most of us carry candida in our guts there's a continuous loop of interaction between us and the species that grow in our gut so it's not that far-fetched moving on to uh i guess like how a fungus survives like particularly in the environment like what kinds of environment do they need to survive and also thrive fungi are great at adapting to their environment um, they can be found anywhere mm. anywhere in the world you can find a fungus that is particularly adapted to that region of the world so really all they need is some sort of food source that they can use and they're ready to go fungi are make a lot of different enzymes to break down complex molecules in the environment that almost no other organism can use right so in terms of that i would say they could grow anywhere this is just complete anecdotal but i've just seen from walking around my local area down the park we've mushrooms just sprouting like a crazy amount of mushrooms i haven't seen anything like and i've been living here for a good couple of years and it's the last eight months where i've just seen loads of mushrooms just sprouting everywhere this is something that we're seeing more regularly at the moment i don't have an eye on particularly expansion of mushroom forming fungi and, and how that is sort of expanding in time mm. but um it's important to note that the mushroom forming fungi and the ones you can actually see are only such a small part of whatever is out there. Most of what most of the fungal matter that is out here in the world, we actually can't see They're they're microorganisms and, and really, really small. In terms of that, uh, there's so much to be explored. So you've spoken about um, different types of fungi and you mentioned that, you know, we have some within within our bodies as well. Um, so obviously not all fungi are pathogenic. Many live in symbiosis um, with us and in our environment. How specific are antifungals? So do they kill off good fungi um, as well as the pathogenic, the pathogenic ones? And sort of what are the implications of emerging resistance as well? So here, um, I kind of like that you brought up pathogenic fungi and, and symbiosis. Um, and what's, especially in the field of mycology, what's become clear is that 
a fungi doesn't have to be pathogenic or symbiosis um, or live in symbiosis. It really depends on what is the current environment. Mm. So they can be both. Fungi can, in one instance, be great to have around um, and carry in your gut. But then when you have some sort of imbalance or Im uh, immune dysfunction, then that fungus can cause an infection. So it's, it's a sort of, it, it can be both. That's also why the current antifungals actually target both because they mm. can be both. So it's really a setting dependent um, thing that we're looking at in terms of antifungals, but they do definitely target things, uh, fungi that we consider good for you. Um, it's just as soon as you get a fungal infection, we really need to step on it and treat that. So uh, fortunately there are some, some other things that it will affect. Okay. So is there anything in the pipeline that you may have read or know of um, that can be a bit more specific with its targeting? Or at the moment, is, is it just too difficult to tell? It, it is. It's extremely difficult to treat fungal infections. And, and currently, we've only got four classes of antifungals approved for in clinical use. So it, mm -hmm. it is, it's very limited. And most of these have a lot of drug-drug interactions. Um, you can't take them long-term, a lot of side effects. So mm. it's, it's already incredibly difficult to just treat a fungal infection. However, there are a couple of antifungals in the pipeline that I hope are being approved in the next couple of years for clinical use. And some of them are a bit more specific than your general antifungals. So they would either target a specific niche of filamentous fungi or yeasts, things like that. So they should have a little bit less side effects than the current antifungals. So I'm quite hopeful in that sense. Okay. That's promising, I guess. I think you mentioned earlier about agriculture and from what they've alluded to so far in The Last of Us, um, the, some of the spread happened through food sources such as flour. Um, now, you know, yeast is, a, if, you know, if, if I'm correct, a, um, a type of fungi, right? Yeast. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, in terms of like our agriculture, what are the impacts of antifungals within within agriculture, and how does this contribute to resistance? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, first thing you touched upon is the series, and and this is what we find really interesting that in the game is actually through uh, airborne spores, which is way mm. more likely than something in your food. Oh right, because, okay. because we're there's a lot of quality control going on with anything that's food related, so okay. it's it's very unlikely that we're going to get uh, harmful fungi in there. However, in in agriculture, um, we have to use a lot of fungicides on on land, on crops to protect them from fungal plant pathogens, mm. and and these fungicides are critical for food security, so we can't stop using them. However, these are similar compounds, not exact same, but they have a similar mode of action to the compounds we currently use in the clinic. Right. And what I've said, we've only got four classes of antifungals that we can use in the clinic. We've got about 50 different ones we can use on, uh, on lands. However, this sort of dual use of 
antifungals on land that have the same mode of action as the antifungals that we use in the clinic, there is a sort of a bystander effect. So anything you spray on a land will obviously go into the soil, mm. which is where all the fungi grow. They will be exposed to these antifungals and evolve and adapt to this stress that they see, become resistant. And then we see patients come in with resistant fungal infection that we can't treat because the fungus is resistant to all the antifungals that we've got. How quickly can they develop these resistance? Because again, like referring back to the show, um, th- again, this was in the first episode, they alluded to this um, when they spoke about uh, the fungus, um, that through climate change, it's, it's evolving to uh, adapt to higher temperatures, harsher conditions. How quickly does the adaptation happen? That depends a little bit on the compound and mm. a little bit on the fungus. That can range from we've seen antifungal resistance in fields can be developed within a month. Okay. Um, for some for some compounds, it can be years. Mm. But resistance will develop. Whatever you put on a field, a fungus will adapt and evolve to cope with it. It's They are extremely plastic when it comes to evolution. Now, the other thing you touched upon is, is climate change. And there is a body of research uh, and something I'm working on as well is that the sort of the adaptation and evolution of this fungi to cope with this environmental change that we're currently seeing directly has an effect on its ability to cope with these antifungals. Mm-hmm. There is some sort of cross evolution going on of one to the other. And we already see that. We see things, new things pop up. Um, a great example here is Candida auris, which um, has been doing the rounds now for, I think, about 10 years. Um, that is believed to emerge from an environment that was prone to lots of environmental change over the last 20 years mm. and is resistant to almost all the antifungals that we've got. There is a lot of work left to do to figure out what are the evolutionary trajectories of of fungi in the environment and how does that impact antifungal resistance, um, its ability to infect humans, and also its ability to spread. (laughs) The fact that resistance can happen within a month, as you mentioned. Are fungi in general a threat to our food source? To our food source, definitely. There um, There are some great examples of tragedies that have happened due to um, fungal plant pathogens. Um, you've got great examples in in rice, in potato, where complete crops have almost been wiped out due to fungal infections. Uh, another great example is, is bananas. Um, fusarium infects banana plants and almost can wipe out complete plantations. Um, so in terms of food security, fungi are a massive problem and we need a good, we need these fungicides to, to, to treat those fungal infections so we can't just cut them. Mm. But what, I, what we try and, and argue for um, also with, with my research is that we, we really need to have a crosstalk between the medical use of antifungals and the agricultural use of antifungals so that we're not impacting each other. Right. Um, we touched upon climate change briefly, 
Um, but in terms of the impact of climate change, um, mm -hmm. when it comes to fungal infections and infectious diseases in general, like what impacts are we seeing? Like what, how does that contribute to um, sort of like the future? I, I briefly already touched upon a, a new fungus that emerged, um, but there is a lot of fungi that we just do not know that are out there. So there's definitely a possibility that over the next decade, we're going to find something that we've never seen before um, that can cause any type of problem, either being in our crops, human health, or anything else, uh, animal health, things like that. The other thing is, uh, and we've already spoken about that, is the, this sort of cross-evolution mm -hmm. of different fungi to, to climate change. So that's also a worry, although we currently do not know um, what's going to happen there. We do not know this sort of evolutionary trajectory. Um, and the last thing is, there are fungi that are limited in their geographical range and where they grow. Great example here is coccidioides, um, which causes valley fever in the US. Um, has a limited geographical range where it can grow. It needs dry environments, uh, high temperatures, mm. with not a lot of rain. So this area, yeah, yeah, yeah. So these areas where um, where it's dry um, but hot, due to climate change, that area will expand. So there is already some data out there from the US that has shown that that geographical range has expanded and more people are exposed to it and therefore more people can get ill. Mm. And in terms of spread, are we seeing things like this like airborne or is it close contact? It depends a little bit on, on the fungus, but generally it's, it's airborne. Mm. Um, for oxidioides, for example, it's not 100% clear. There are, there are, there's data out there and there's some ideas, but it's not, we're not 100% sure where it actually grows and lives. Okay. Um, and that goes for a lot of these fungi. We do not know what sort of their, their hotspots are. And that's some research that's left to do. Do we, um, this is just, just like, I'm just curious, but are, are we aware of any um, fungal infections at the moment that have the potential to cause a pandemic i think that is that depends very much on how you describe a pandemic if it's a, a fungus that can cause a problem at the same time in multiple countries in a large group of people mm. um there is some potential however fungi are generally not passed from um human to human transmission. So they're generally environmentally acquired. So that's already a barrier for an actual pandemic. The other thing is that most fungi and fungal infections in humans, uh, and also in animals actually, happen in people that have an impaired immunity. Mm. So you already need to be sort of predisposed to, um, not being able to cope with this fungal daily fungal challenge that we all see. So, well, let's say the majority of us will be healthy and therefore can cope with this fungal challenge that we see every day. So there, there needs to be some sort of rare event where complete immunity breaks down and the fungus can spread extremely well in the environment. So it's okay. super unlikely. 
Okay, that's reassuring. <laughs> and in terms of human health, what fungal infections are like the deadliest? At the moment, um, depends a little bit how we look at the data, but there's there's generally sort of what we call the big four. Um, the one that I would like to mention is is cryptococcus uh, causes um, cryptococcal meningitis in um, people with, that are HIV positive and is a uh, incredibly large problem in Africa at the moment. Mm. Um, luckily, there are, there are some good efforts to get um, point of care diagnosis up and running and have treatment available there. But I think that is a really scary fungal infection. Where do things stand with antifungal vaccines? Is there any prospects of them coming on stream anytime soon? So there is work being done on, on antifungal vaccines. Um, I, I just mentioned cryptococcus. So there is actually work being done on a, a cryptococcus, cryptococcal vaccine. Wow. Um, and there's also some work on a panfungal vaccine. While there is scope for vaccines, I think what is going to be a massive challenge over the next couple of years is who do you give these vaccines to? Mm. Um, Obviously, one part is uptake. So, as I said, a lot of us deal with fungi on a daily basis. So, why would we get a vaccine? So, it's going to be for a specific group of people. So, the cryptococcal vaccine, for example, would be great for people that are HIV positive as a sort of preventative measure. Okay. But then the question is, how long does this vaccine last, and how long do you need it to last? Because fungal infections are, well, they are underdiagnosed and underappreciated, but also it is quite a specific sort of niche of infectious diseases, is that we also don't have a handle on how many people are at risk and how many people actually do develop these fungal infections because a lot of it goes underreported. So there's still a lot of work to be done, but I'm quite hopeful that people are working on these kind of vaccines and hopefully we can start using them within the next decade or so okay um and obviously we well you you'd mentioned diagnosis how does diagnosis of fungal infections work it's it's um it's a mix of different things so we've got still our traditional culture-based systems so we get a sample to the lab they grow it up on a plate and, and if there's Normally, these are in sterile sites, mm. um, either um, CSF fluid of fungal bronchial fluid or lavage. If anything grows from there, that can indicate that there's a problem. Right. That's, that's sort of a one arm. The other one is radiology. So CT scans um, of lungs have been and brain have been proven to be extremely useful in, in figuring out if you've got fungal infection and if it's causing a problem. Uh, and the last, and that's becoming more and more sort of used in, in uh, clinical practice, is mm. the molecular methods. So either antigens, antibody methods, um, PCR and sequencing methods are becoming more and more routine that we can instead of on a culture-based system it can take up to five days for anything to grow that uh, clinicians can come back within a day and say all right 
your body is either responding to this particular fungus or you've got antigens in your body that indicate this particular fungus, let's start treatment. Um, because it has been shown that the earlier you start treatment, the better the outcome. So we need to get these patients on antifungals if there is a problem as soon as possible. Do we have anything that can diagnose people on the spot or very quickly similar to how we can you know diagnose you know covid with the strip yeah 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 so there are these strips um a great example is the cryptococcal antigen test which is almost a, is a dipstick um which is a great point of care test that's mm. been used uh, across africa now because it's so easy to use and it's extremely specific um there are lateral flow assays in the making um, and there are currently some out there I know for chronic pulmonary aspergillosis. We've got a um, antibody test on the on lateral flow, um, and there are a lot of people working on on different assays from different samples as well. So a really popular one now is to develop new diagnostics that you can take a urine sample instead of a serum or a bronchialveolar lavage, mm. something that's less invasive. Um, but there's a lot of hope. Um, we touched upon early in terms of agriculture was obviously the issues around our crops and um, fungal infections and then using um, fungicides. Could we genetically engineer plants, crops to be susceptible to fungal infections? Like, is that something that you've come across at the moment? Um, there, is, um, there is a sort of movement... Um... Yeah, I, would, I, I think a, a really good example here is this, the banana infections. Um, most of the bananas that we've used all come from one lineage and are all clonal. All right. So there is a movement to go back to, because there are different sort of different kinds of banana plants that produce mm. different bananas, different lineages. There is, a, there is a movement of going back to those and either engineering them or crossing them be more resistant to fungal infections and and i know there's some great research being done currently in in the netherlands on on these kind of banana strains um, and i i would assume that that also happens with all the other plants but i'm currently not aware of a lot of research i guess also I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of holistically like that would then have a better impact on the environment because then we're using less tropical agents which is obviously better for animals around within the environment better for the air etc yeah so fungi are an essential part of um you know the natural life cycle they mm. decompose things that are dead so they are very important and we can't just you know completely eradicate them yeah they, they have a part to play in our ecosystems um should we fear the last of us as a future <laughs> i don't think we have to fear that um <laughs> I think there are lots of, there are different things that are more worrisome in this world uh, and definitely not a zombie fungus that definitely not going to happen within the next million years. Um, <laughs> but it's great that we're now talking about fungal infections and, and that we really have to start appreciating them and um, and become more aware that they are a problem in, in certain parts of the world in certain patient groups. I'd like to remember that fungi in itself are not the villains. 
<laughs> they they are they are decomposers and um, similar to you know the zombie fungus, it is not out to kill and be 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 the bad person. It it just tries to complete its life cycle and survive just as much as we're trying to do. So in terms of that, they are just another organism in this massive world of of wonderful things. That's some amazing PR for fungals and, and fungus. <laughs> <laughs> stay stay tuned for more. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Um, thank you for your time, Norman. This has been a really fascinating conversation. And I'm just glad that we aren't going to have a mushroom dystopian future. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, just enjoy your fungus and your food and don't think about it too much.